Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper, Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a money quiz of course on wrestle as said though joined by Ample and sidwick to review aew rampage hopefully not the first of many two-hour rampages well i think this is where i'm at with this episode of rampage like i don't think i've seen as mixed reviews for an aew show since the company's inception and if you think about how it's you know the epicenter of wrestling discourse and how everyone's got an opinion on virtually every single minute of the show because it's new, it's the came out big dick swinging about how they're going to change the world and all the rest of it. This might be the most wildly divided reaction I've seen to a single show they've done. And yet there wasn't that much reaction to it either. I mm. saw the discourse. From what I saw, I saw a lot of mixed reports. And I'm firmly in the middle of them thinking, like some people said it was better than Dynamite Grand Slam, and I'm thinking, what? no, it wasn't. Other people are thinking it was actively rubbish, and I'm thinking, oh, eh, no, it wasn't. Um, my prevailing feeling watching this was by the third hour, which I had to watch it staggered over the weekend, um, just a Saturday morning when I've got the kids all day the next day, I'm simply not doing it like... I have to stagger a two-hour rampage if, in fact, they're going to do future specials. And my prevailing notion watching this is three hours of AWTV, irrespective of how good it is, is more than enough for me. And I just got a little bit terrified about the future. Yeah, you've sort of alluded to this. I had a great time for the first part of Rampage. I think maybe if this should have been difficult because obviously the way it would have been structured would have been weird because they normally have like a big match and then a bit of a shorter, lower match and then another big match. But I, I had a great time if it had stopped at the one hour mark. And then uh, certainly in the main event, it felt that this had been an audience that had watched, what, five hours of wrestling by the end of it? Or what did you think, Hamlet? Yeah, like, much the same. Um, I was quite 
taken, I guess, with the amount of like wildly divergent conversation on the quality of this episode of Rampage. I'm going to extrapolate further on some thoughts in an article called Why AEW Rampage Hasn't Quite Worked Yet, coming soon to whatcoach.com forward slash WWE. And this episode solidified something that I've been feeling. And I put it down more to the two hours than the overall quality of the show, which we'll get into, I guess, like piece by piece. But the biggest problem, the simplest way I could think to sort of arrive at this point was that with this Rampage, especially, but with other ones, I am starting to feel after it, or as it's heading to its conclusion, that I have had enough AEW for the week. And I never once felt that with Dynamite. Thus, the reason for Rampage existed. Thus, the thirst for that third hour existed. Even a bad Dynamite will be like, well, that's fine. We'll brush that one off because there's another one coming next week. We go again. We go again. This does not slip. And luckily, AEW aren't Steven Gerrard. Like, this is <laughs> like they would, they would recover it. Um, more than once in a rampage, relatively short lifespan, I've come to the end of the broadcast and I've been like, I've kind of had my fill of AEW. And that is the last thing this company needs because they kind of mastered something that seemed impossible in the content super service era, which is people wanting more of your product. Like that's a pretty incredible achievement, in my opinion, in 2020, 2021, when there's so much of everything, there's so much to demand your time. And AEW had you kind of chomping at the bit, if you're a fan, had you chomping at the bit for more and more and more. Too often, Rampage has ended, and again, all of this is subjective, I guess, but has ended for me with that feeling of, ah, I'm good, I'm pretty good. And this was the fullest I've felt and not at all in a good way. And I think that was where the, the where I would be particularly critical of the quality of this card. The comparisons I would make to for those that felt this was better than the, the Dynamite edition was that I don't think we'll look, history will look that fondly on the Dynamite, I think we will remember the Omega Danielson match. I think there will be specific promos and segments that we remember. I don't think it was an awesome Dynamite because I don't quite think AW have mastered like this this perfect two hours yet. And I would just say Rampage was another version of that. Like when it was good, it was really really good, but a lot of it felt like it came in the first hour and you watched the hype like draining away. And the big worry for me in terms of it being a two-hour show, if it is indeed what we've nervously speculated might be a trial for something longer term is that they have trialed this. If the network have come to AEW and said, we want to do this because we love you and we want you to have an extra hour one week, AEW have obliged with Arthur Ashe Stadium. Perfect destination, theoretically, to try this. And even those fans were knackered. Even, even that crowd, that audience couldn't stay up for all of this. That's pretty significant, in my opinion. This isn't, and I'm not to like, let's have a go at Cincinnati or any of the venues, but do you know what I mean? This was the, this was the place anyone would have tried it. And I think objectively, listen to the listen to the noise for that main event and other portions of this rampage. Objectively, it was probably a, a bit of a, a bit of a reach. And if it was a reach here, surely it's going to be a reach everywhere. Yeah, that pint bet of yours with Andy, I'm, I'm worried about that. You're going to I want to win that. it. I, I, I don't want to win it. Yeah, I was going to say you're going to regret that pint more than I don't know. Bender on a Thursday night or something. Uh, right, let's talk about this show uh, and talk about the opening match: CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Now, I haven't actually seen this match until Saturday, Monday night. I've got my days all confused. I've been very busy with Extreme Rules and that sort of thing. The only bit I'd seen was a very short gif or video clip shared by one Michael Sidgwick that got me very giddy, which we will get to in due course. Um, I really enjoyed also having Taz and Ricky Starks teaming up to just poo-poo everything that CM Punk did in this match and put over Powerhouse Hobbs. And also the dichotomy between whenever Powerhouse Hobbs made a mistake or, you know, slightly buggered up, 
against CM Punk in terms of just letting him recover too much. Taz like being like, damn, oh no. Instead of being like, what the f- are you doing, Brian? You prick. On commentary when Brian Cage had that match uh, a while back. Anyway, so Punk immediately drop kicks Hobbs to start us off. Uh, but Hobbs immediately fights back, punches, uh, kicks, rake to the face. Uh, Punk immediately goes to the GTS, but uh, Hook jumps up on the ring apron, distracts Punk, and that allows Hobbs to escape and nail him with a crossbody for a near fall. Later on, Punk slides out of a suplex, goes to, goes to an O'Connor roll, gets a near fall off that, and uh, Hobbs responds again by just using his entire body as a weapon and hitting him with a pounce. Uh, we come back from the break and uh, Hobbs has got Punk in a bear hug. Eventually breaks out of it, catches uh, Hobbs with a leg lariat, swinging neck breaker, recovers, hits the charging knee in the corner, hits a short arm clothesline, and then does the classic top rope Randy Savage elbow drop for a near fall to get a new bap, like what the sign said that you could see uh, from this uh, amazing crowd in New York City. Uh, it goes for the GTS, Hobbs counters it, uh, and then this is the moment that you and I talked, or you and I have subsequently talked about, and the moment you shared where he just sort of pulls Punk in out of nowhere to hit him with a brilliant spine buster, excellent sell from CM Punk in amongst all this. Uh, Hobbs jumps up to the middle rope, does the whole GTS taunt, but then Punk recovers, forearms. He goes for a hook and run off the top. Something goes horribly wrong. I'm sure you'll talk about it. Hobbs tries to block it. Punk eventually does hit it, but both guys seem to fall right on their heads in amongst all this. Uh, Punk's bleeding from the mouth and he goes for the cross arm breaker, goes for the triangle choke, but Hobbs powers up and power bombs Punk to get out of it. This time, Punk jumps up on the apron for another time. Punk goes to confront him. Hobbs runs at Punk. Punk gets out of the way. Hobbs and Hook have a meeting of the minds. Uh, Hook gets knocked off and then Punk hits the GTS on Powerhouse Hobbs for the pinfall victory. Siege, I've talked about you a lot in all this and I'm giving you the chance to talk about it. Talk about that spot and your thoughts on the match, including the botch. That spot was fantastic. This spot and a few others um, were better. The sum of the parts were better than the whole, I think, in this match. Um, And I think you could probably um, attribute that to the fact that Powerhouse Hobbs is still in some way green. This is an ambitious length of a match. And it kind of, it's a bit, like, I really enjoyed this. Punk's performance in particular was great. Hobbs was great during the flashes. Um, This is a, not an odd way to start the show, but like you expect something like a really brisk, electrifying build, 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 crescendo over. It wasn't quite that. Um, but that spot was magnificent. Like it looked for all the world that Punk was not cooperating as Powerhouse Hobbs' dance partner. And it didn't look like Hobbs, who does a very good job of being reckless, even though the vast majority of the time he isn't. He did such a good job of selling this spot that I just fell in love with it. If you wanted to just pick someone up and throw them to the ground, like I've seen bad wrestling, and I've seen bad spine busters, I've seen reckless spine busters. It's just so perfectly performed. The block was amazing. It was one small fluid motion. And when he picks up that spine buster, CM Punk's head moves about a bit. It's the best way I can (laughs) describe it. His head kind of moves about a bit as if under the immense power of powerhouse Hobbs, his spine is just turned into jelly and he's just turned into an invertebrate just at the complete will of Will Hobbs, I'm not trying to do this much wordplay, <laughs> it's just happening. 
Um, yeah, that spot was great. Uh, the story of the match was sort of it's David and Goliath. Everyone's seen it. And they did it mostly very well. I enjoyed it for what it didn't do as much as what it did do. Where Punk didn't like, oh, you bloody heavy this one. I can't do the GDS. <laughs> My bloody back's gone. They didn't do a cliched version of a David versus Goliath match, but then the template is so rigid that you can't do too much else with it. Um, CM Punk has that early period of Christian Cage where he's still breathing a bit, sweating a bit more than you expect. A bit of grey in the beard. A bit of grey in the beard, but then <laughs> give him four or five matches and he has the Omega match. When CM Punk has the Rampage Omega match that Christian Cage did, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal because of the little details he's putting into his work. Like we talked when we were talking about the Air Darby Allen match, just scraping the back of his head against Darby Allen's teeth to get a snapmare. Wonderful. Looking like he'd had no spine <laughs> from the spine buster. Immense. When he gets the right opponent and he gets his own individual form, it's going to be incredible. And I love the little path that he's there paving to get there. One last point before I throw over to Hamlet, and I've said this on Twitter, the mega fans will forgive me. <laughs> CM Punk wearing the long tights looked like, to my genuine displeasure, he looked like a guy, a wrestler doing a comeback. CM Punk in trunks looks like a pro wrestling superstar. Mm. Like, gear makes all the difference. Hamlet, here's a segue for you. Do you maintain now that the long tights were a mistake? I like them, um, and I like the kind of that new chapter thing that I think he was going for. But I like just as much people's joy and that rationale for the trunks coming back. Uh, like hearing that, uh, like I like that just as much. And I'm so like I put it online. Like when will this euphoria around him die down? Like if that has just increased or enhanced that furthermore, then it wasn't the hill I was prepared to die on. Do you know what I mean? And clearly, it wasn't one for him either, which is cool. Like he. If, you know, he is the listening wrestler in the listening wrestling company. So great. CM Punk is doubling, trebling, quadrupling everyone's investment in him because everything he does, you have to watch two, three, four times. Like, it's just that good. The promos, which we always knew he could have been away 107 years and his promos would have still been awesome. But uh, the promos are just the sort of things because of the reactions, because of the points he makes and the way he delivers them, the things that just deserve rewatch and you like look forward to experiencing the thrill all over again he's had two matches and how rewarding are these two matches so far to just watch more than once for the details for the thought that's been put in um, not just to uh, how CM Punk is going to put over just how hard this is how hard this wrestling job is not least when you haven't done it for seven years against today's best or today's brightest in the case of Darby Allen and Powerhouse Hobbs so there's like there's all these details and you're going to get tons of these uh, in CM Punk's matches. But the story is like, the story never, ever uh, betrays the individual match. The story being CM Punk's path to finding himself again, to being at a level where, because what he isn't is Brian Danielson. Uh, Brian Danielson can step into AEW and go nose to nose with Kenny Omega and take him to a 30-minute draw. CM Punk is not that guy. So every single one of these matches contributes to him becoming that guy again. And that's why like, all these matches are going to be so rewarding. On Wednesday's Dynamite, he screamed down the lens, Hobbs, Team Tears, and CM Punk's the smartest guy in the room, even if physically he's not quite yet up to much. So he draws Hook in 
with that middle finger early doors because he's felt what it's like to get trucked by Powerhouse Hobbs. And then what happens? Powerhouse Hobbs trucks Hook. So he's just dismantled Team Taz by himself because he's wise to all of this. And that's what he's going to need to do. It doesn't scan as uh, sneaky. It's just wily. It's just veteran instincts. And yeah, the point about the, which I think is like really important because I'd even pitched on podcasts, Hobbs is probably the perfect opponent for Punk to introduce, reintroduce the Anaconda Vice. AW wrestlers benefit a lot from having multiple like ways to win a match. And I thought Hobbs' size, the whole point of this is going to be when he taps him out and he's like, I've got this too. But we didn't get the patronizing knee buckling, oh, me back, GTS. <laughs> and that was like, this was all the better for it. What it was was a wrestling move that he worked towards. So the Anaconda Vice is there for another day, isn't it? And that's kind of ideal as well. Um, I, I'm just finding this so incredibly rewarding in the very same way that Punk juggled the difficult task of happy to be here Phil and going to kick your ass CM Punk in a promo I think he did it in a match here I think he did it more here than he did in the Derby Allen match which is some going considering that this was the first thing that was approaching the blood feud for him because how he kind of took Hobbs to school a little bit I know the whole thing was like took you in and put you to bed and that but how he just like outthought him before he outfought him is very much happy to be here Phil rather than I want to snap and fucking kill you CM Punk uh, and yet it just felt within the body of the match that he was in the fight of his life. He's mastering this. This is like, I, I said it after Derby Allen match, this is like the basics at their mo- in their most beautiful form. This is very different. This feels very different to everything else you get in AEW. I don't think I can probably pay a higher compliment to CM Punk, and I do hope he's listening when I say this. This feels like what it would probably feel like if Bret Hart returned. Yeah. But that's what it's feeling like watching CM Punk at the moment. And... Like, you know, there's no higher praise I can certainly think of. And I'd hope there was no higher praise that he could aim for. It's it's just luxurious to watch him do this. Heart and mouth stuff, though, when they both came off the top rope. I'm not sure what exactly happened. It's not great. Them. Not great, but, like, the setup to that was awesome. Like, Punk sitting up and actually trying to fight for a top rope Hurricane Rana. I'm not sure I've ever seen that. Like, you, that spot exists for you to lose yourself in suspension of disbelief that the guy doing the move... It like has such leg strength that the person like can't stop himself being lifted from a seated position. We're all sitting down right now. Think about the strength that would take in somebody's legs to pull you from your seat and do a front flip. The fact that they worked that because Hobbs is massive and same one gets all is so awesome. And I was a bit gutted for them about the botch, but if anything, it was like like again, this is generous, but the botch sort of worked in context because Punk had to fight just to do it. And I'm not sure I've ever seen a Hurricane Rana fought over like that. So even that, even the detail was paid attention to before that unfortunate and terrifying landing. Plus, love a bit of accidental colour whenever anyone mm. something comes up bleeding. I'm like, oh yeah. Punk did as well. He would not stop looking at his hands. <laughs> <laughs> the good Gargano waves. He's like, have a look at this. Have a look at this. This is when this happens. It's great. And don't do this the wrong way, but he looked brilliantly bedraggled about halfway through this match. I was like, oh, he's looking his age there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's smart enough to recognise that it would just scan as... Like, I've again got a great point with the Danielson thing. He can't be the Danielson. He can't do that. So he's legitimately said first thing. was One of the very first things he said was, can I still go? He's smart. He's a smart guy and people connect with wrestlers, flaws and all, more so than they ever did in like the 80s and 90s mm. cartoon superhero age. Like realistically what AEW is doing and I know it's courting and skewing a really young audience but the actual base 
that's going to allow them to exist in the sphere to then really go after the teams. It's the company for millennial wrestling fans when WWF deserted. That's what it, this is. And the vast majority of millennial, millennial wrestling fans exist in a broken world that's just completely devoid of truth where it's all been completely warped. And the wrestlers aren't getting this. And CM Punk gets this, like, yeah, I might have a bit of grey in my beard, but is it just better than going, sorry, pamphlet, it wasn't his choice. Is it better than going LOL Kevin Nash and Dinah Black? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, this is way better. It's just truthful storytelling. And it's corny stuff because they're wrestlers, but yeah. it is what it is. And it's great. Uh, we get a video package featuring Thunder Rose and Nyla Rose and Jade Cargill. So we might head towards a triple threat, which is going to be intriguing. Well, I don't like the matches. It's a three-way as well, triple threat to WWE copyright, and I will not have it on this podcast. So it'll be yes. a three-way match. And uh, <laughs> I'm not even that much of an arsehole. I mean, I, I obviously am. Look, it'll be three-way least... dance, isn't it? Him and love three-way dance. Three-way dance. It'll be three-way dance. Like... At least they've booked a storyline that justifies what has so often been. Are the two people that you've seen wrestle every week? That's getting boring now. So add an extra guy to the mix. We've <laughs> literally seen it on WWE television yeah. over the past week. Um, at the very least, we haven't seen much, if any, of the, the singles match derivations of this three-way. And they've built it with the idea that we'll probably get Cargill... Um, Nyla Rose on the back of the three-way. It's way better than a normal three-way setup, I'll say that much. Uh, what we got next was a three-on-three match. There's another term oh, for it. shut up, man, you wanker. Uh, the Super <laughs> King versus Christian Page and the Jurassic Is that a T-shirt idea where like, we've got a, like, a small Cedric screaming, I want a trio and I want one now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, by the way, before I forget, the noise for Adam Cole's entrance and catchphrase and stuff. My word. I mean, blew my speakers off. Jesus. Wild, wild reaction to yeah, it. He would have looked better by Bearcat's side, though, wouldn't he? Yeah. Be honest. So uh, Cole teases starting off the ma- a match off fighting Christian Cage, then immediately tags in Matt Jackson. They go at it. Uh, Christian dominates, gets a near fall with a back elbow off the middle rope. Then comes Jungle Boy, and he and Christian double team the books. Um, send them to the outside. This moment with Jungle Boy and Adam Cole, which we'll come back to later on in the match, chases Cole to the floor, chases him around the ring, runs straight into a double super kick from the books. Um, Cole's got Jungle Boy in a chin lock. The books run the ropes, they stop, they kiss Adam Cole on the cheek, and then they double super kick Jungle Boy again as the show goes to the break. We come back, uh, Jungle Boy finally gets away from the clutches of the books, gets the hot tag to Luchasaurus, who comes in, goes for a double choke slam on the books, but Cole breaks it up. He then choke slams Cole, Luchasaurus that is, on top of the books. He grabs Nick Jackson on the top rope because he's trying to stop him from doing something, choke slams him, gets a near fall off the back of that. Eventually, they recover. Uh, Cole and one of the young books double super kick Luchasaurus. They go for more bang for your buck on Jungle Boy. Um, but he gets taken down uh, on the top rope by uh, by Jungle Boy with a Hurricane Rana. Uh, German suplexes Matt. Uh, he takes this is Luchasaurus now. German suplexes Matt. Uh, Christian comes in with a flying head, but Jungle Boy gets a near fall. Jungle Boy goes for the snare trap on uh, Matt, but Luke Gallows, who's also at ringside, distracts him, allows that to break it up. Cole and Luchasaurus are fighting each other at this point. Uh, both hit pump kicks. 
the Bucks, Christian and Jungle Boy, they're all fine on the ramp. Matt Jackson lobos Christian, throws him off the ramp. Jungle Boy goes the same way immediately after that. And it's now Cole and Luchasaurus in the ring. Cole hits a shining wizard on Luchasaurus for a near fall. Then he hits the Panama Sunrise. The Bucks hit the BTE trigger and Cole hits what is the last shot. But the got Excalibur on commentary and he goes, and I'm Cole there, hits his move. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I can't remember exactly what they call it now, but he hits his finisher, gets the three count. This match. Boom, that's it boom of course that it's the boom or whatever it is anyway post-match you get a wonderful bit with adam cole just jaw jacking the jungle boy as he's victorious alongside the young bucks really enjoyed this sage yeah it was a really really enjoyable match um reviewing things on a tuesday yes. after a friday show particularly when it's a by definition convoluted young bucks match means i can't really drill um, too deeply into it. My two prevailing takes ultimately were that I liked how distinct it was to an elite trios match. Yeah. In that, and I love an elite trios match. And I don't know if it was just the ram spot where they like separated the members from themselves and took them out one by one to get to the finish, or if it was that attitudes and like the, the kiss spot. What a bunch of Smarmy slide tricks. Yes. The super click came off as here. Like a genuinely really good heel performance wrapped around like a thrilling trios match. I don't think it hit the heights of the best AEW trios matches we've seen. I don't know if that was just an extension of AEW fatigue. Um, Didn't quite hit that height for me, but it was still very, very, very good. And ultimately, I watched this more is a measure of Adam Cole and how great he is than I did in the match in itself, if that makes any sense, because I'm watching Adam Cole in the last however many minutes. And suddenly, Luchasaurus, it's 2019 again for him. Yeah. And that's because Adam Cole dust is rubbing off on him, and that's what an absolute superstar Adam Cole is in this company right now. Um, Cole versus Jungle Boy should be absolutely spectacular. This match, again, was very, very, very good. But... I just knew I was in for two hours at this mm. point. I don't know what it was. I really don't know what it was. The arsehole energy you're talking about. You know, we often talk about how some of the best wrestlers or tag teams, you go, oh, God, I'd kill to go for a beer with them. And I'm sure it would be great to go for a beer. You wouldn't drink. It would be sure it'd be great to go for a beer with the Bucks and, and Adam Cole. I don't think it would be. Like, it would be in real life. But if it's this version... Just gonna be making jokes that you don't like well, references. Like if someone went for a beer with all of us, yeah, and we go and all that stuff. Where are they? Be like different <laughs> language. I'm really, I'm not having a good time here. I thought. So I, I think that's exactly right. Um, but yeah, Adam Cole just looks sensational here, and uh, that noise for him, pamphlet, unbelievable. Yeah, this. I wonder if that noise had something to do with the with the reason why this match just felt like fun and sound more than it did exhilarating because the entrance was exhilarating. That feeling only really existed for the duration of Adam Cole's entrance and then it gradually subsided and the match never pulled it back. And that's fine. Like, it can't all the time. What AEW did here brilliantly was obscure a little bit of match to build a match booking because Adam Cole, Jungle Boy was the play and they gave you this really cool and fun and sound trios match where you got to see a bit of it to build up to the, the bigger bit of it. Um, I thought that, like I genuinely feel this was a choice to have Luchasaurus, a guy the size of Luchasaurus taking the Panama Sunrise, um, was 
and early days shot across the bow to the AW roster by Adam Cole. For anybody that thinks he's maybe too small, when already he looks and feels like AW's next great headline star, but that was always something a little bit held against him. I'm not like just talking about like he's got like quite small arms. I don't care. I'm just observing that he's got quite small arms. But the meme that always did the rounds with him stood next to Zack Sabre Jr. about his height, the idea that he'd only really achieved in NXT, which has always been positioned as the smaller brand until 2.0, like compared to the main roster, all those sort of things. That's gone now because he just hit one of the biggest guys on the roster with the Panama Sunrise. He's not going to do it to Paul White, but he's got a good chance of pretty much doing it to anybody else. And that's the main takeaway from that. I thought the finish was really cool as well. Like very literally isolating the big guy by throwing, like I didn't really see that kind of finish coming in this sort of match. Mm. They don't normally, to, like, they don't need to go down that route typically in trios matches because there's so much chaos happening elsewhere that you kind of, it just organically boils down to two guys in the ring. But the elite, where they're, they're smarter, but they're kind of more, they're bigger bastards as well. So they've done it in that way. It puts over Jurassic Express as being a big enough deal that you've got to do that to get the proper advantage over them. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. I think maybe what this match lacked in drama was possibly on the baby face side of things. I think I was looking for stuff between Christian and Jungle Boy that didn't really come because it became very clear early on that the actual objective was getting you ready for Adam Cole and Jungle Boy. Mm. EW in that, ma- in that match, I've got another one of those nights like that time they headlined Dynamite recently with MJF and Sammy Guevara, where you're like, Christ, like, look what they've got. Look at what they're assembling here. And that, when you spotted that that was what this match was for, I think a lot of the drama elsewhere that might have been there, like, dissipated a little bit. Mm, but I agree with them using the surroundings in terms of walking out before the show and going, look at this, it's incredible. Here we are. Bloody hell, that's a big drop. Someone fell down there, that would be a real, real shame, wouldn't it? Let's just hoy two of them down there and then we could isolate the bloody dinosaur. Absolutely. Um, one thing I will say before we move on, Christian Cage, so class in this match. Like for the little amount of time he was in there, he was so sharp, he was so quick. And if you look at him, he was in there with against like, remember when we all thought he was a bit boring? <laughs> like Christian Cage rules. He's been um, one of the best things about AEW this year and think of the ground back on us. Mm. Uh, very didn't, good. Uh, Don, didn't Don Callis call him like the Stamford Superman as well? As like yeah. another reason why, why he picked the 10-year-old Kenny Omega over Christian Cage. That's going to be this thing that just exists. Now. There he is, Stamford Superman. Uh, very quickly, thoughts on the fundamentals of this trio's match? Great fun, Mel. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Next was uh, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus the men of the year, flanked, of course, by Dan Lambert and Ricky Stocks shooting on Judas, saying it's all about Chris Jericho turning on the fans, and they couldn't care less because they were all singing along. Um, Early on, Chris Jericho's in control. He flips off uh, Ethan Page on the apron and batters Scorpio Sky, and uh, Jake Hager comes in, dominates, but then falls victim to a jawbreaker. Uh, Page manages to, to get in, hip-tossed by Jake Hager, and uh, Hager hits a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall. And Jer- Jericho comes in off the back of that. Page damn near kicks his head off. So later on, um, Jericho and Scorpio Sky come in, and Jericho hits a springboard drop kick uh, as he's running the ropes to knock Page off the apron and then drops Sky with a fist off the top rope and gets a near fall off the back of a lion salt. Uh, Hager comes in, huge Beal, Hager bomb, near fall, gets the ankle lock on Scorpio Sky. Jericho uh, puts Page in the walls of Jericho, and that's the conclusion to the first hour of Rampage. When we come back, uh, Dan Lambert's got up on the apron. He's distracting the babyfaces. He breaks up the submission. Uh, Hager runs the ropes uh, in the midst of all this. Lambert trips him. Sky rolls up Jake Hager to get the small package victory. Post-match, the baby faces jump the men of the year and beat them down. They're furious. Jake Hager in particular is furious just because they want to get their hands on this damn Dan Lambert. But out come the members of American top team. You've got Junior Dos Santos. You've got Andre Orlovsky. You've got Paige Van Zandt and her boyfriend. You've got uh, this whole roster of terrifying MMA killers and on top of that, you've got Jorge Masvidal dressing as only he can. Uh, the numbers game obviously means that they can just dominate and beat down Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. Paige Van Zandt just keeps punching Chris Jericho uh, in the gut with the uh, with the brass knucks. And then Jorge Masvidal with a callback to his fight with Ben Askren that trended everywhere. That running knee after five seconds in that classic UFC bout. Well, he recreates that. And does it to Chris Jericho, busts him open. I really enjoyed that as a conclusion to all this. But what did you think of the whole thing, Michael Hamplet? Mm, I I don't know. I think I want to do them at the end first because I've been pretty critical of the um, the MMA guys' stuff being better on paper than it is in practice. Like a lot of them don't really look like they know how to stand out there, and that's fine because they're not trained wrestlers; they're fighters. Um, and yet. At the very, very end, I thought they got this bang right. I thought um, Paige's punches into Masvidal's running knee was super effective. For the first time, they looked like a serious threat. I bought them as a danger to the guys that fake fight, you know? So, like, at long last, that element of this story is effective. So, like, kudos to Chris Jericho for being willing to sell a running knee from a guy that isn't trained to pull 
like you know, like a, a, a charging attack from a guy that isn't trained to pull his punches. Like I think that's like quite brave on Chris Jericho's part. And I thought that whole thing came across really effective. And I thought it looked good enough. And I was on the hook at least to see Chris Jericho have this novelty popcorn fight with somebody as a bit of basically the good example of Paul White versus QT Marshall. If you want to put that on a pay-per-view with something a little bit different in between the stuff I actually want to watch, great. Like that's that's what you do. You do something a little bit daft and a little bit circusy, and that'll give everybody a chance to calm down so they heat it up for the next match. Like far better than what they were trying to do with White and Marshall in terms of how you use your television time, because it's probably going to be hot for it. The match was the match was so pedestrian, and I'm going to be nice to Chris Jericho again, with the exception of Chris Jericho, who I thought really put a shift in, like really put a shift in to try and get like the men of the year over. The match was so pedestrian. I th- I don't think the men of the year are it. I think as fun as that act are, and as decent as they are in tiny segments, and as much as they probably deserved a run out like this because of what they gave to the Sting and Darby Allen match, um, I, I don't think they're it. Scorpio Sky's had a few chances before to shine, and he, he doesn't really. He leaves you with nothing. I'm told more about the good things of Ethan Page than I've ever seen in AEW. Um, so I, I don't know. It just this felt really, really bland right the way through the finish, which was like, I know, you know, I know a cradle's a wrestling move, but it was pretty cheaply delivered. Like the baby faces are straight back on top. Like it wasn't, it was clean, but you got the message straight away that the men of the year were never the big threat. The big threat was, here come the MMA guys. Um, Yeah, Chris Jericho, fair play to him. I'm like the last person to praise him normally. Thought he was great in the match. Thought the beatdown was tremendous and I could visualise finally something with this damn Lambert act that, like makes sense to me on a pay-per-view or a big dynamite. I'll learn a little bit more about Masvidal now because I've I finally bought into some of it. The Hager Jericho tag team is the most underrated tag team of all time. We called it. Me and Hanford both called it last year. <laughs> said it. When they get together, inexplicable, a little bit magic happens. This wasn't magic. I don't think I don't know if pedestrians are harsh. Maybe it's harsh. I enjoyed this way more than I thought I was going to, to be perfectly honest. I saw this as the match where Oh, right, okay. I've been on the hook for everything. I'll check Twitter. It's the reality now. Or, like, you know, it's happened in arenas before smartphones were invented. This is the bit where you think, all oh, right, okay, I can kind of switch off for a little bit. They hooked us. Like, Jericho was a little pinball getting around it. And it wasn't just the speed with which he got around there. Like, he's got that massive frame, that, that frame on him these days. So, it, like... It's always a little bit more inexplicable when he gets himself about. Yeah. It always looks like it really hurts. Like he's he's always wrestled like not the most spectacular junior, but a junior. And now whenever he gets the heavyweight and the junior bit and melds them, he did it brilliantly. I thought he was class, I have to agree. And there was one really awesome spot between Ethan Page and Jake Hager. Uh like Ethan Page hit Jake Hager so hard that he almost sort of um knocked some of his personality into him. That was really good. Otherwise, in terms of the, the layout, it was nothing I've not seen a million times. And it was a bit of a cheap get out. Just final elusive evidence that these MMA people are actually hard. I'm watching AEW Dynamite any week they're on. And I'm thinking, I know, I know who I'd least rather. Like using my rational head, I know I would, who I'd least rather have a fight with out of everyone in front of me on this TV screen. And I'm still thinking... I'd, Penta looks like the one I don't want to have a fight with. Like, <laughs> Kingston looks like the one I don't want to have a fight with. Masvidal, like, Arlovsky, 
used to have, I used to read Power Slam magazine when it was in operation. And Andre Arlovsky was one of the guys, the write-ups of him, he sounded like a really terrifying He's world. a savage, yeah. Like, I've got nothing. I barely remember he's on screen. I don't know if I can pick him out of a lineup. I've got elusive proof that these MMA guys are hard. Yeah, you really need to showcase more of the fact that yeah, JDS has got a knocked out Kane Velasquez and people like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, credit to AW if they do decide if this is the, the catalyst for taking Jericho off screen for a while. Because after the labors of Jericho, you're like, all right, well, if you can get through that, what's going to put him off, you know, on the shelf, sorry, for, for so long. Yeah, well, hey, Masvidal's Neil do that to you. Just ask Ben Askren. Uh, right, then we got the four-on-four match uh, that was Lucha Bros, uh, Santana and Ortiz versus Private Party, The Butcher and The Blade. Uh, Matt Hardy and Jack Evans at ringside. They will come into it in due course. This mad brawl to start, start it all off. Um, crazy dives, topes, all that sort of thing. Flippy stuff all over the place. Uh, I did also like the... I've no idea what to call it. Flipping DDT thing that private party hit or tease with on the outside. Uh, in the midst of all this, anyway, Hardy threatens to cut off the hair of Ortiz, which brings out Orange Cassidy. And still don't fender of hair. I also don't really know why <laughs> that stopped Matt Hardy. He was miles away. Orange Cassidy taking this WWE box yeah. thing, isn't it? Orange Cassidy, Jake taking his jacket off twenty yards away from me does not stop me cutting off someone's hair. Anyway, Jack <laughs> Orange Evans, Cassidy, it's going to take him like ten minutes to get there, isn't it? Like, yeah, no Jack one's Ev- like no one's speed artist, Orange Cassidy. Oh no! Jack Evans tries to cut him off. He eats an orange punch, and then Matt Hardy goes, "Well, if you can do that, I better just not cut his hair off, I suppose." Uh, anyway, back in the match, uh, Santana on tees, they double team. Should play. it be hair versus hands? <laughs> That's a good call. Orange Cassidy's got lovely hair on him. But what does it matter to him? My Hardy's like, I'll cut your thumb off. I thumb versus uh, hair. <laughs> I don't know who's going over, so they might as well. Yeah. Uh, private party come in. Um, Cassidy hits another mad stunner neckbreaker thing on Santana. It's, it's a series of people coming in and hitting moves. Penta comes in, he takes out Cassidy. Butcher comes in, takes out Penta. Phoenix hits that hook kick on Butcher as he spins through the ropes. Uh, pump kick from Blade. Blade hits a flying clothesline. Both both guys are down, basically. Quayne goes for the shooting star press on Santana. Santana dodges it. Lucha Bros hit the fear factor on him. And then Santana and Ortiz uh, hit the street sweeper. And Santana pins him one, two, three. Post-match, yes, we get the announcement from Matt Hardy with an interview with Tony Schiavone. That's... He's going to challenge Orange Cassidy to a hair versus hair match. It's going to be Orange Cassidy versus Jack Evans. And he says, you better win Jack. And Jack Evans isn't happy. So like you say, as, as much as we like, oh, that's crap. But at least, you know, Matt Hardy's sacrificing himself for the cause. He's going to shave his head. Now that's not even happening. But we'll talk about that in a second. Your thoughts on the match first, Sige? The match had to be very, very good by the end because I was so pissed off at the start of this. <laughs> like, generally, my feelings and my enthusiasm for these i can see the wires but i don't care the performances are so great spot fests when the books aren't in them threading wonderful story beats this distinctly 2019 AEW style is waning for me in terms of how much i get out of it yeah i was a bit indifferent i agree yeah it's just not it's just not hitting the same it's no longer jesus christ this style of wrestling in front of that many people awesome i, I don't get these vibes some of this was like, I used to like criticize these matches when I did for being sloppy. This was different. This is so tight by the last 
four or five minutes. I was really impressed by the individual performances. Um, but the four stereo dives, the thing that started the match off, my God, they took forever to set this up. And I'm thinking, get on with it. Get on with this. I knew exactly what they were doing 10 seconds before they did it. And if I'm thinking that, the heels who were getting in position for it, I was thinking, was it was it that spectacular mm. that it was worth pissing off the guy who gets paid to cover this? <laughs> Isolate that clip, put it on the SCJ, you stupid themselves. Um, <laughs> the fact that they took so long, where even I, who has a lenience for this genre, was like, come on, that pissed me off. So the fact that within the last three minutes of the total quite exhilarating tornado got me straight back in the hook must therefore be a credit to how well it was worked by the end but on a broader sense this is just one match and you might not remember it in two or three months or whatever in a broader sense already you get the sense that Jesus Christ the young books are stars because this tag team title already feels a little bit of lesser importance yeah, I, I was actually going to make that point. I think they've got a slight job on their hands, a bigger one than they thought, to get Leech Brothers versus Proud and Powerful over as a match that felt important, as, as a title match for PMP that felt as important as it did when the Young Bucks had the belts. Like, I don't mean that as a slight on the Leech Brothers, but seeing them together in this match, like the two teams on the baby fit, it was all very, very mid-card. And they'll, they've got time, you know what I mean? Like, the Leech Brothers have got time to establish these belts as being on a similar level to the world title as the Young Bucks had done. But if they thought, by them in AW, if they thought this match was one of the ways to do it, I, I don't think it was effective at that. It was strange, this match. You know, like, it was tighter than I would have expected without the Young Bucks in. That's something that we picked up on last year about how vital the Young Bucks appeared to be to these sorts of things. But you know, that we've described that feeling before when a wrestler is cutting what they believe to be like an all-time funny promo with a mic drop gag at the end and your only response is oh. you're not laughing you're like you're barely even thinking oh that's funny but you, you've got that like you know that's how you should respond but you like, I had that with this I wasn't like being like taken off my seat over and over again squealing making daft noises at the sheer shock and surprise of what I was seeing and that is surely the aim and especially on this show like they know this match I'll give them credit I'll give AEW credit for like trying their best to get the fans up for this last stretch of this long taping they've been at with a match like this. And I didn't really achieve that either. And I think that came through with the home viewing experience. It was, it was like fine. And it was like, there was no glaring watches to describe. And that's pretty cool for some of the guys in this match that have been like, you know, that have had that criticism levied against them before. Um, the Matt Hardy stuff didn't drag it down but he remains a bit of a hex on everything he's involved with, this included. It is becoming so hard to escape that, oh, Jesus, feeling when Matt Hardy's here, that you kind of, again, it goes back bad. to this. Actually, it is. Feeling a bit too full. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, honestly, you almost never wonder what else is on or what else could be happening on your phone when you're watching AEW. And Matt Hardy's one of the few guys, and I'm sorry because it's always him that we have a go at. But it, like that, that is how it feels. You know, I was like, oh, this will be the point where I can just idly scroll my phone for a second instead of watching the stuff that should be calibrated to my to hundred percent of my attention. Um, the line was pretty funny. The line delivery of like, 
hair versus hair, but you know, like that, I thought it was quite cute. Like, is the whole HFO going to be bald by the end of this? I suppose, like, at least, like, the butcher's got nothing to worry about. But, like, the rest of the HFO, like, uh, the, is Orange Cassidy going to come for private parties, cool haircuts? Is that going to be, you know, is this guy, is, is Hardy's empire going to at least crumble around him when he loses his hair? Because they're all just going to be like, well, I'm not putting my hair on the line for you. You're a weird guy and I'm getting nowhere. Why would I risk anything for you? <laughs> Two more things about this before we move on. I did like, as on the nose as it was, the idea that Santana and Ortiz and uh, Phoenix and Pentagon are together in terms of United, United against Common Enemy and they were like doing moves in tandem with each other where they were doing tandem moves with mm-hmm. the respective yeah. partners. I did like that as a build to, oh, hang on, that means that you're our next opponent. Decent enough. Um, what was the other point I was going to make? Yeah, even the crowd reactions, no one can agree on. And that's odd because you can't deny a pop. And yet people are either embellishing these pops or no selling these pops. Like I could feel a tired audience watching what felt very much like a taped show. I don't know what it was, but it felt like mm. it. Yeah, there were certain moments where they were as high for anything, but in patches, there was none of that sustained. Yeah, just the sum of everything mm. is the story of this show, I think. Uh, outcome Sammy Guevara and Fuego del Sol. Uh, Sammy's got the cue cards gimmick thing, uh, but get jumped by Miro and murdered. Uh, he throws Del Sol off the stage. He attacks Guevara, and as Guevara's crawling over to make sure his friend's not dead, I assume uh, he puts him in the game over and takes his one of his cue cards that says the next TNT champion and rips it up. No notes, great. Just love the visual of Miro every single time he's on my screen, and I genuinely am, he's one of the few heels that I go. I know I don't want you to take the title off him either. Like it may well be the person, but. God, he's just, he, it's just night and day, isn't it, from, from where he started out in this company. I know we say it every week. Yeah, still. absolutely. One thing I'll say about this segment is that it worked because there wasn't so many other um, contrived, not contrived, but like, oh, someone's getting interviewed. All right, here's the angle. If you do so many, it just creates the idea that this world is wacky and chaotic and fake. If you're restrained in terms of presenting these angles, they are far more effective, at least for me, so basic as this was, it worked as something that could theoretically happen. Uh, we got a video. Sorry, do you want to say something? Well, a little bit. I'd like to, to your point about how you watched this and thought, oh, I don't really want something to be the guy to take the title off Miro. I thought that too. And like, I'm going to levy that as a bit of a criticism against this. Okay. I think Sammy and especially Fuego are supposed to be sympathetic figures. Like in the shadow of this absolute monster, that they're going to have to try and beat. And I don't feel sympathetic from it all. I thought it was pretty cool what Miro did to them. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know if this is just like my own subjective take, but I sense there's quite a bit of this. Miro's so awesome that, like, I, I don't think this is a particularly great build because on the night, yes, I think there will be a certain suspense and drama behind Sammy possibly being the guy to do it because he's got all this credit in the bank in AEW. So, like, on his own steam, He's absolutely a guy for an awesome Miro match. But I don't think this is particularly good. Um, Miro's, like, took everything off Fuego, short of actually, like, he tried to stop him getting the job that he's even got. Like, he only got that because, like, you know, Tony Khan gave him the contract anyway. Miro did everything he could to stop him. And then he took his car. And, you know, he could just break him in half any time he wanted. And I'm not feeling this sort of 
go on, get him. You can get him this time. If anything, Miro's spotting that, oh, Christ, we've already had somebody get thrown off a stage a couple of matches ago. I better do it even harder. I was like, I kind of admired that. I was like, well, I can use uh, Fuego's body to make mine look even more impactful than the ones the Elite did to Christian and Jungle Boy earlier on. I was like, you really are the best. I'm not getting any of the energy I had behind Eddie Kingston beating Miro. Mm. And I think that's the intent of this. And I think in that sense, it's failed a little bit. Like Sammy Guevara's looked like the like a babyface world champion elect at certain points. And I don't want to see him win the TNT title at no. all. No, I think that's a fair assessment, although I did really enjoy Team Taz cackling away as he murdered these two goobers. It's really, fun. It's really fun to watch. It is. It's really, it fun. Is really fun to watch. I, I really enjoyed Team Taz, now that you bring that up. I really enjoyed Team Taz during this segment. I, and it's, I can't believe I'm slandering Taz and Ricky Starks on a podcast. I'm very sorry about this. They didn't really work for me at all during the CM Punk Hobbs match, you know. Their earnest fear on behalf of Hobbs, I know what they were doing, and it was the right thing to do to put Punk over as this guy and this veteran master. But I just think I wish they were like more, they're more entertaining when they're trash talking. Mm. They should just do way more trash talk than selling. That was, I thought. The tone was very weird. Mm. No, I get, I get where you're coming from with that. Uh, we get a video package with Andrade El Idolo. Uh, he uh, com- told, explained why Charbo didn't need his help. He didn't want him interfering. And now, you know, his associate knows not to get involved. And he challenges Pack again, this time uh, without Charbo. So Pack won't have an excuse for losing. Next up was Anna Jay versus Penelope Ford. Oh, skip. Oh, did I say that out loud? Sorry. Because it was exactly the same match as when Anna Jay fought the bunny. One of them comes down, distracts him, and allows the other one to win. I, it, it infuriated me, this match. Jay comes down, attacks Ford, they brawl. Jay eventually gets the advantage, puts her in a sleeper. The bunny comes down on the ramp. Jay breaks the hold. Ford fights back. We come back from the break. They're slapping each other. Jay goes for the sleeper again. Bunny jumps up, takes the referee, slips uh, Penelope Ford, the brass knuckles, and they used to KO Anna Jay and get the victory. Post-match, they beat her down. Out comes Tate Conti to make the save again. And then she gets KO'd by the uh, Brass Knucks. And the only exciting, enjoyable bit, the HFO uh, are stopping anyone from coming out to make a save, i.e. your Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. But they are then suddenly flanked by everyone from the Dark Order. You know, there's meant to be this big split going on. Two sides, they've united. They come down, they chase off the uh, HFO. And it looks like we're going to get this big, uh, big reunion for the Dark Order. But Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, they just can't do it just Yet was that too harsh, Hamlet? I know you were pulling the faces. I was shooting on this match, but I've just got to this point where I was like, I've seen this literally repeated, and we'd we'd say the same for a, for a WWE angle. I, no, yeah, I wasn't pulling. It. I completely agree with you. Like repetitive and like transparently underthought. I think I feel like we've said this before about this program specifically, but probably about like a number of the, a number of the women's matches that they're throwing out with this idea that they're. And maybe it'll work for some of the audience, but this idea that the audience will see this and use it or weaponize it or take it as like, right, job done, you know, hands rubbed together, women's division fixed, all that sort of stuff, like transparently underthought. It's always the case of look at, pick one of the lower rung men's angles and compare and contrast with this story and see how much effort you can see is being put into one. And it'll be the similar or there'll be more on the men. And that continues to be the case here. And as relates to the finish with the Dark Order stuff, um, we've talked about this on other podcasts, 
nothing that has played out in this story has felt remotely big time. And yet, if it is indeed Hangman Page pulling everybody back together, that'll feel enormous. So they remain in quite a strange period of stasis with this Dark Order thing. I don't I think once any of this has resonated in the way that they would have liked, and yet it, it will when it counts, so that'll sort of be okay. I don't know. Like I, I, this, all of this felt pretty inessential. Felt pretty B show. All the stuff that Rampage isn't supposed to be. At least it was an hour two, but I sense that it would have happened in a one hour one as well. Just I'm totally unmoved by all of this. Completely unmoved to the point where I'm really starting to wonder. Look, it's not as if oh, it's such a. It's an awkward thing to talk around when you talk about the upcoming show in Rochester. It's like. Bad creative isn't necessarily a big disrespectful thing to the legacy of Mr. Brody Lee. Sometimes you just want, sometimes you just do bad creative and it's not going to be like necessarily overtly insulting. It's just a bad storyline at the, the absolutely most imperfect time. But if they were going to do something to honour Brody Lee's legacy in this Rochester Dynamite upcoming my God, I don't see how this connects. I'm waiting for the master stroke, the penny drop, the wonderful thing that's going to happen. I'm waiting for the, and I've said this before, I'm waiting for the arcade anarchy or the parking lot brawl. This magnificent thing that makes it all better in mm. retrospect because what are they going to do in Rochester with this? Like a drab tag team feud booked in the most drab of WWE ways with let's do all the singles matches and then the tag. <laughs> There's no tag titles, so um, yeah, I don't know how they're going to honour Mr. Brody Lee in Rochester on this basis. I, I Is that this wanna, week? Yeah, yeah. I don't have to tie those two things together. I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's just bad and not ideal. Like, it's not disrespectful at all. I really don't want to be confused with saying that. But at the same time, yeah, I, I'm really hoping for a master stroke here. The match itself. Again, like we've seen these, it's a lot of overacting is going on with the Dark Order Civil War, trying to heat this up as a grudge rivalry between um, the Bunny and Ford and TJ. Not buying what the selling's on in the match, in the angles, the promos, the whatever. Right, it's time for the pre-main event interview. Uh, it was Moxie Kingston and Suzuki Goon. And uh, yeah, it was basically Eddie Kingston versus his T-shirt. That's what happened here. And then we get sold uh, for the match. Uh, Archer saying, look, it's not, it wasn't a fair when we fought in uh, Cincinnati, but New York uh, is Kingston's town. They're going to they're gonna have this big old brawl. And that's exactly what happened. It's a lights out match um, where they can do whatever uh the lights go out they get, get all the plunder involved and uh we get the the moxley uh, suzuki duel on the ramp with the chairs and you get eddie kingston facing off with the menorah suzuki in the ring that's a great guess a great reaction and there's a chop battle suzuki laughing off these chops uh they they fight they bring a table into the ring and eddie kingston gets kicked through it and disappears for about 10 minutes in this match um Lance Archer, you remember all the ring attendants they always have at ringside uh, <laughs> AW shows? Yeah, those guys. I'm just randomly put there for this match. Anyway, uh, all the AW young boys. Yeah, he's already beaten them once. He beat them up. He beats them up again, and then chokes Lance Moxley onto the top of them. He goes under the ring, gets a strap, 
uh, hangs John Moxley as we go into a break. As, as Rampage rolls on, will this guy be alive when you come back after the next Domino's pizza advert, whatever it is? Anyway, um, we come back and they've tied Moxley's arms behind his back with duct tape and whipping him with the uh, leather strap. Suzuki puts him in a single crab. Archer hits him with a trash can lid. Kingston finally gets back in and Archer just goes, no, back out you go. And they continue uh, the beat down. Uh, there's a moment where they, they're just basically saying, just stay down. And Moxley spits in Suzuki's face. So a brave man, Minoru Suzuki punches him square in the face. Archer literally holds him like, no, nah, your head's not moving here. Bang, straight in the face. Uh, and he bites his head just for a good measure. Kingston gets back into the ring. He uh, takes down uh, Suzuki with an Suguri. He uh, hits Archer. Oh, he chops Archer. Archer basically goes, so I bet you got what have you got? So he just pokes him in the eye. I, that tickled me. I'll, I'll admit that. Does the old machine gun chops thing in the corner. It's an exploder on Archer, but Suzuki catches him, gets him in a sleeper, and uh, he gets hit with a helicopter black hole slam uh, to take him out of the match. Suzuki sets up the chairs in the ring with the two chairs pointing together. It's the worst place you can ever take a bump, basically. Archer sets Kingston up on the top rope. He's going to go for a massive black hole slam when suddenly whose music should hit than Homicide? His name appears on the rank, the baddest wrestler to ever come out of New York. He runs down, he attacks the heels, he frees John Moxley. Uh, Moxley and Kingston make their comeback. Uh, Moxley hits a paradigm shift, DDT, there's chairs and there's all stuff being involved. And the, the, the finish was really enjoyable, to be fair. Kingston puts the trash can on Lance Archer's head and just hits it solidly for about a minute with a kendo stick and then goes, all right, okay. And then finally pins him. Homicide is in all elite wrestling. They celebrate and the show concludes with the three men standing tall. Sige. It felt like it was the end of a five-hour taping or, you know, five-hour show with tapings and stuff in amongst it by the end of all this. Um, but there were still some fun, enjoyable spots in this Lights Out match. What did you make of it? Again, sums, parts, holes. Yeah. That's just the complete story of this entire night and indeed the main event of it. Like, if you want to be pedantic about it, and I often am, and I, you know, try and enable my uh, suspension of disbelief, and got a bit of leniency when I really like the people. I really like some of these people, but even at various points, I'm thinking, tighten this up. Like, tighten this up. Like, did the Suzuki Moxley chair swinging thing, and it just ended <laughs> without any kind of conclusion. And Chairs fell apart as well. Chairs fell apart into this disjointed thing where Moxley just goes away for minutes on end to set up an incredible, so much fun moment between Kingston and Suzuki. Suzuki's face, he's known for how great his face is. Like that facial expression will stay with me for ages. Mm. Laughing at the chop, then instantly tongue out, eyes wide open with relish at the fact that he was going to kill someone for daring to touch him. Awesome. They just... They probably had a lot of fun in the group chat putting this one together. Too much bloody fun, right? Have some discipline. You didn't have to start Kaze Nina Ray halfway through just so you could get to the Kaze Nina Ray bit if this was what you are going to put afterwards. Yeah. So it was very disjointed. Too many ideas. One of which, the whole attendance stuff just lost me entirely. <laughs> it, like, they don't have them. 
They do not have no. young boys or an American version of them in AEW. <laughs> so don't do the spot. I was mystified. I didn't think it looked that cool to go, ah, you can have that one. Have that one. I don't care. That doesn't make sense. It wasn't even that fun. It took ages to set them up for Moxley to get landed on them. And then you think, how's that any different to like a dive sure. getting caught? It's just a bit. Sure, it's best to just be thrown off just the floor. Just throw on the floor. Just throw them on the floor. Um, the homicide thing was class. Yes. That was really nicely done. And I was getting a bit worried because I'd known the spoiler and I thought, oh, are they going to do the three on two babyface thing that this company doesn't do? No. Justice was served and it was really quite cool. The finish was excellent. The Moxley, uh, sorry, the Kingston, and get a lot of Moxley in this match at all. Sorry, the least I've ever enjoyed one AEW television, if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah. Um, the stuff between Kingston and Archer was great. And you get it's spotlight in Kingston, but it doesn't really excuse that Moxley was a bit rubbish in this match. The Kingston, Archer, and particularly the Kingston Suzuki exchanges were sublime, disjointed, mostly fun, mess of a match. But I kind of got the impression that a little bit too much fun is being had with, oh, Moxley's going to do some New Japan stuff. At some point, it's like I'm missing Pandemic Champion Moxley. I'm missing John Moxley in the universe. Um, it's felt like a bit of a lark, jolly piss about that because it's Eddie Kingston in this context, I give a passing grade to. If this was in any other city except New York for Eddie Kingston, I genuinely think I would have been actively pissed off at just how I just felt like a lock, a piss about. Like, I don't know. But I was so happy for Kingston. He deserved it. Any other context, this match, I'd have buried the hell out of it. And I kind of half did. I think he deserved this, but I think he deserved more than just this. If anything, this sort of felt like a bit of a token gesture by the end. I love almost everybody in this match and I was just disappointed at how it made me feel because I thought this was, like, when it wasn't naff, it was pretty exhausting. It was, you know, it was... I think it'd be cruel to call it artless because there was some thought put into what some of the spots would look like, such as this, oh, AEW has young boys now. But arriving at that, and actually when you see it executed, yeah, you couldn't shake off, it's a bit naff, it's a bit lame. Like Lark, piss about vibes again, that same energy. It's like it is, it must be really cool to know that you can do this sort of stuff and know that you're not having to deliver this like really sharp, um, creative, visionary brawling. You can just do this instead and you're still going to generate some big pops. And that, that, must, that must be nice as a feeling. But I probably like. For all that it was important that Eddie Kingston got a match like this, it probably was in hindsight the wrong place in the wrong time because deep into this long taping, um, of which I know I was only watching a two-hour wrestling show, but this transported me to actually being in the building and feel like I was on like hour four or hour five of a taping, just the way it was worked and the way the fans were responding to it. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of uh, Moxley Omega's Lights Out match, but I would have to say this was probably the worst AW Lights Out match. Mm. Like that, that has become something that sells itself is a almost like a, a separation from what you've been watching before. It's an experience that you need to sit on the edge of your seat for. It's an experience. It's an experience that you need to feel different about. You need to feel nervy and a bit uncomfortable almost about what a lights out match promises. This wasn't that. This was way more 
um, like daft, hardcore match. Like he never once really had that energy. There was never a sense of danger in the air. And considering the men that are involved, like that, like all these matches, the singles, the tag, every combination of these men, it should feel dangerous. It should and it should feel scary. And pub car park fight energy. And I didn't get any of that. It was it was like, like it was. It could have been fun if you were into it, but I at no point felt like I was really part of the fun. I just felt like I was watching these have it. Mm. And yeah, the Moxley stuff. It's. It's great when it's great because it's so epic feeling. You know, when when the when the Moxley versus the New Japan dad story goes well, it feels enormous. It feels like this man is being charged with fight, literally fighting the world. Um, but I it does sort of feel like he's on his wrestler holidays when he's in, in situations like this. So I guess like I guess like the context of his matches is quite important, and it, all of that was just thrown out here. Not a great main event, really. Like if like not. For me, not what I would have wanted to see Eddie Kingston have as nice as it looked for him. That's, that's just me, like selfishly imposing my own wants for him, my own desires for his career. He looked like he had a brilliant time. Um, if I can say anything nice about it, I think it was really smart that they didn't want to gamble on people having that sort of like. I love Homicide, but I was a big, massive TNA fan, and a lot of people like Homicide because he's local to the area, and a lot of that fan base will have watched Ring of Honor when Homicide was at his peak or will have even watched his TNA and Impact runs, but they didn't want a Luther, Butcher and the Blade type re- like debut reaction for Homicide, so they flashed his name up on the screen. Like You knew everything you needed about Homicide within the first six seconds of him appearing in AEW so that you could receive him as a baby face, that you could see him helping out and you could cheer for him. So I thought that was like smart presentation. They are continuing to learn from their mistakes, but that's not me praising a wrestling match, is it? That's just me praising some good production. Yeah, no, I thought it was a great reaction and a, a nice touch to have on the side there. Uh, and this this showcase for Eddie Kingston. Who knows, maybe this less than perfect rampage, not not bad by any stretch of the imagination, look back on like Punk and Hobbs and Superclick, et cetera. Or maybe this is a blessing in disguise in which they'll look at this and go, yeah, we shouldn't do it to that rampage. So that's that's what I'm hoping the takeaway from all this we'll is. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. Fair point. Uh, well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Rampage Grand Slam on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch that you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our Raw review is available right now and our NXT 2.0 preview is going to be available later on today as well. But for now, this has been the AW Rampage review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.